0: So last week, we began this sermon series, this new series, and we've been talking about temptation. Not exactly a favorite topic, but a necessary topic, one that we deal with all the time, temptation. And last week, we talked about, we've been reading through uh, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, Jesus in the desert. And last week, we talked about how Jesus followed the Holy Spirit into the desert. And we talked about how Jesus, I mean, he didn't... Same thing about it, and we can only guess. And I can only guess how I would have felt as I had just been baptized, coming up out of the water, hearing God's voice, this is my Son, whom I love, and Him I'm so pleased. How tempted I would have been to not follow the Spirit into the desert. How it was so good, and I would have been tempted to just say, uh, God, the desert's not comfortable. There's not a lot to eat in the desert. It's hot. I don't want to go. How tempted I would be to take the easy way out. Tempted not to follow God. Well, I've been working on this some more, reading Matthew chapter 4 and moving on to the next part where Jesus is tempted again, actually tempted officially now by, by Satan, by the tempter, and realizing for us, or for me at least, how tempted I am when life is difficult, when life is hard to take control. Or to try and take control of things. How, when things are hard, when things are difficult, and I've been in a difficult place for a long time, or maybe I'm just afraid. Maybe I'm in a situation where I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, and I'm afraid. And I'm tempted to take control. I'm tempted to figure out how to use my own ability to work it out. And as I was working on this sermon this week, I was reminded, it kept coming up again and again when I was 16. When I was 16, I was coming home from a football game. and My parents had come, and they were in a car accident. And uh, my mom was okay, but my dad was thrown from the car or from the truck that they were driving, and he was in a coma for five months. And and then he died. And, sorry, I don't mean (laughs) to... The the point I wanted to make, though, was when my dad finally died, um, uh, I remember feeling terrified. He was my dad. I mean, he was the one who sort of worked out everything for us. And, I mean, he, he, I mean, he was, him and my mom worked, and that's how we like, had groceries and paid for our home. And I remember being terrified of, how is this going to work out? I remember being afraid, and I felt this, just this, like every part of me was trying to take control. Everything, part of me was trying to get control of life that was out of control. I remember talking with my mom. My mom has a very different <laughs> reaction to grief than I did. Hers was more like she was hurting, so she would buy stuff. <laughs> and I was hurting. I was like, no, Mom, we have, to, like, we have to stop spending money. We have to figure out what we need to sell to make sure we can keep our house. And, and I just wanted to take control. I still wrestle with that. I mean, if Tracy were sitting here, she'd be nodding. <laughs> I still wrestle with that. But I'm thinking as I'm working through it this week about this desire to take control when things are hard or to at least try to take control. I'm thinking, you know, I think a lot of us can relate to that. A lot of us have had experiences in our lives where things are hard and difficult, or maybe we're afraid of what could happen, and we want to try and take control. We want to try and somehow use our ability to make it work. Maybe some of you kind of live in this place all the time. You're worried for things, or people in your family, or for situations. I know sometimes... I do my best worrying from about 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience. But how we're tempted and we're anxious and we want to take control of things. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we know that we can trust God. We know that God is faithful. We read about it in the Scriptures. We've seen it in our own life. We know that God has given us His Spirit. And yet, when things are scary, we are still tempted to take control, or at least try to take control. And maybe the question comes, like, Lord, I'm afraid. How do I rely on you? How do I not take control when I'm like, every part of me is tempted? How do I not take control? That's why I'm thankful for the Word of God. (laughs) I love the Scriptures. They speak to our lives even now, especially now. I mean, I know like we're reading things that happened at least 2,000 years ago, and in some places, like the Old Testament, even longer than that. And I know maybe people around us could say, like, why do you read that book? It's so old. How can it have any meaning? I just can't help but laugh. How the Word of God speaks to us now. It's so rich and, and helps us to live life. Do this. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 4. Or if you want to follow along with the white sheet, too, in your bulletins. We're going to read just the second section first, which is Matthew, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. There's tons of stuff to draw out, to to learn from God in this, to learn from Jesus by the way he responded to temptation. But the first thing that I was realizing as I was working on this and studying is that that Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted to take control. I mean, he had been in the desert, this dry, dusty, dirty place for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. Matthew says he was hungry. Now, I know that we get the idea that Jesus is God, and we get the idea that he's human, but this morning I wanted to make a point he's fully human too. He was hungry. He was really hungry. 40 days with no food. That's hungry. And it's it's amazing to me how Satan comes and tempts him at the place of his weakness and his strength. How cunning the deceiver is. I mean Jesus is hungry maybe even close to starving, really hungry. And Satan comes and says, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Come on. Just a few stones into a few loaves. Just enough to get you by. Attacking him at his weakness because he's hungry. I mean, and what's wrong with making some bread out of stones? Like, He's not saying build a golden calf and worship. He's saying make some bread out of stones. And Jesus does make some bread in other stories in the Bible. I mean, there's one place where a boy brings him uh, five loaves and, and two fish, and he makes enough bread out of that to feed 5,000 people with extra left over. So, in and of itself, making the bread is not the problem. So there's got to be something else going on, which we'll get to in a minute, but... I want you to realize that Satan attacks Jesus here at his weakness where he's really hungry. But it's interesting at the very same time he attacks Jesus out at of strength too. I don't know if you caught that part but Satan begins by saying if you are the Son of God if you really are who you say you are if you really are who your Father in Heaven said you were then prove it. Turn these stones into bread. I don't know about you, but I would be tempted. (laughs) You want bread? I'll give you bread. I'll make the best bread you've ever seen. I'll make so much bread that you'll be up to your neck in bread to prove to you who I am. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Satan attacks at his pride, but also Satan attacks at his power, too. Jesus could have turned stones to bread. I mean, he was there when... The heavens were created. He was there when the waters were split and the dry ground came out. He was the one creating when he filled the sea with teeming fish, when the skies with birds and the land with every kind of creature. Jesus can create. Jesus can take six jars of water and turn them into the finest wine. God can create. Jesus can create. He could have filled up to their waist that whole desert with bread. He had the power to do it. But he didn't. Satan is here tempting him at both places, both at his weakness. You are hungry. Just make some bread. And, you are, and at his pride, too, if you really are who you say you are, then show me. Prove it. And also attacking him at his power because he could have made bread. I was thinking about this and the closest thing I could come up with is that if we were really hungry and someone said, here's a toonie, go buy a loaf of bread, how easy that would be for us. Satan is here attacking Jesus at his strength but also at his weakness at the very same time trying to tempt him to take control, to stop trusting in God and start trusting only in himself, his own ability. And it's amazing to see how Jesus responds. He responds to him by saying, It is written, which is a good hint for us, All right, It is written. He's talking about the Bible here, about the Scriptures. It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, is Jesus just quoting the first verse that came to his mind about bread or food? No. No, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8. For those of you who are maybe still learning about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is one of the books of, of the first five books of the Bible. And it's, this, it's like a big, long sermon of Moses preaching to the people of God before they enter into the land, reminding them how faithful God has been. And in chapter 8, we're going to read here in a minute, reminding them that God provided bread, manna, in the desert, food for them. And he was faithful, reminding them how faithful God is. It's no mistake that Jesus begins uh, quoting this text, quoting from Deuteronomy as he responds to the devil. Because it's in this place that Moses is trying to get the people of Israel to remember. To remember who God is. To remember God's faithfulness, that he led them out of the land of slavery. When they came to the Red Sea and they said, Why have you brought us here to die Were there no graves in Egypt? And God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land. And once they get across, then they start complaining, have you brought us out here to to die? At least we had meat for our pots when we were in Egypt. And God provides manna daily. And they said, oh, well, this bread is fine, but we have no meat. At least we had meat. And then God provides quail. And they said, have you brought us out here to die? I mean, we're dying of thirst, and God brings water out of the rock. Again and again, God leads his people and provides for them. Moses is reminding them. That every day by a pillar of smoke and every night by a pillar of fire he would lead the people. Let's take a look at if you want to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 8 or if you've got this white sheet it's at the top. It reads, so Moses speaking to the people here on the, east of the, on the east side of the Jordan before they're entering the land. He says, be careful to follow every command I have given you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your fathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples or disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The people going through the desert was not an accident. They didn't lose their way. And they were in the desert for 40 years and it's a journey that takes a matter of days. But for those of you who maybe who, have, who haven't heard the story, that when they came to the land, God said, go and send, send spies or send people to go and, and search it out. And they sent in 12. And 10 came back and said, it is amazing. But the people there are huge and we, are, we have no chance. Two came back, Joseph, or sorry, uh, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, but God is with us. We can do it. But they were afraid. They were tempted to take control and they fell for it. The people of God said, we can't do it. We're not going to do it. They didn't trust God. So God, I think, had to lead them through the desert for 40 years, providing for them day in, day out, leading them to remind them that, that God does lead them, that God will provide for them, that God is the one who will bring them into this new land. God says he led them in the desert to humble them. They went and they looked in the land and they thought, oh, we can never do this. And so they left. They didn't trust God. And God had to humble them to show them that God would take care of them and to test their hearts to strengthen their hearts, to build faith in them, to build trust in them. And so Jesus is here in the desert too. Jesus is here in the desert and he's not here in the desert being tempted by Satan by an accident. Like I said last week, he didn't lose his way. He wasn't just sort of uh, stumbling around and ended up in the desert lost. That's not what happened here. He followed the spirit here. And Jesus is here and he's hungry and he wants food But he's not starving, he's fasting. There's a difference. There's a difference between fasting and starving, and Jesus is not starving. He's following God faithfully. He's not eating on purpose, that's what fasting is. He's growing in strength and trust in God. Being filled with God's Holy Spirit here in this desert. faithfully doing what the people of God were always meant to do. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's gathered up all the people of Israel in one person, in Jesus. And here he is going through the desert, not complaining about the lack of food, not complaining about the lack of water, not complaining about the fact that his life is threatened or that he doesn't like the way that God is doing things. He's faithfully following God, finally and faithfully doing what God had always intended Israel to do. He's representing God's people here faithfully doing what what God had always intended his people to do. Jesus is saying, I will live not by food, but by faithfulness. Here in the desert, he's responding to Satan, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to live not by food, but by faithfulness. So as we start watching Jesus, we see that he was tempted to take control. Satan came and, and tempted him. Just make some bread. If you are who you really say you are, then just show me. And Jesus responds with faithfulness. He's not out here for food. He's out here for faithfulness. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I see kind of how Jesus did that, and but he's God. I mean, how does this help me when I'm tempted to take control? When things are hard in my life and I want to try and make it work, I just want to try and work harder or, or forget about relying on God. I just want to make it work. I just want to fix it. How do I, what do I do with this? The first thing I want us to see is that God acknowledges that we are tempted to take control. I know sometimes we don't want to think. We want to think, no, 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 no. I've, I've been following Jesus a long time. I'm not tempted to take control. I'm not tempted to stop relying on God. I always try to be faithful. But Jesus shows us here that we struggle with this. We are addicted to taking control. Some of us, more than others. We hear that voice that says, you know, if you really are good, as good at your job as you think you are, then figure, figure this out. Or if you really are as smart as you'd like people to think you are, then, then you can't have any problems. You have to figure this out. Or we hear this voice in us saying, you know, I've got money, I've got resources, I can pay to have this fixed. And we're tempted to start thinking but I don't have to endure this. We're tempted to think, you know, we hear God saying, this is the right thing to do. And it's hard and we're tempted to just drop out. It's difficult. It tests us. It strengthens us. And we're tempted to just say, I don't have to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to use my ability, my resources, and I'm going to make a different way for me, an easier way. You see, when we are tempted to take control, it's fundamentally that we are not trusting God. The more we are tempted to take control, the less confidence we have in God. Fundamentally, the temptation to take control is a lack of confidence in what God will do. Believe me, I know. (laughs) Yeah. And this is the first step, is us admitting this problem. (laughs) That things get scary in life. Things get difficult. We don't know where things are headed. Or we don't like where they're headed. We see things happening in our family, with our parents or with our kids, and we get afraid. And so we want to try and take control of that. It's good that we realize that we have this this addiction to control. This maybe even illusion that we can control everything. So the first part of it is recognizing that we have this problem. That's only half of it. The other half is asking God for his help. Is looking for the ways that God helps us. The first thing I realize is that we need to remember that God is faithful. To remind ourselves. I mean, you know this. If I were to say, how many here know that God is faithful? (laughs) Yeah, people raise their hands. But remembering it, especially when things are hard. That's not as easy. And I look at what Jesus did, and and it helps me see what we could do to help us, what we should do to help us. I mean, Jesus started speaking about Scripture. He started quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy actually looks back towards the Exodus, when God brought his people out of slavery. And how God faithfully provided manna in the desert. Provided a way across the Red Sea. Provided water out of the rock. Provided leadership in a pillar of smoke by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. That God walked with his people the whole way, leading them. And we see God's faithfulness, not only in that story, but stories. I think of like David. I think of Moses. I think of Abraham. I think of Isaac and Jacob. I think of, of Jesus and Peter and John and Paul. God's faithfulness right through the scriptures. When we read the Bible, we see how faithful God is. That's one place where we remember how faithful God is by reading the Word of God. We can look back and see how he's come through time and time again. The other place that we can look back is looking into our own lives. We can look into our own lives. We can look back, and to use Rudy's phrase, we can look in our rearview mirror and see God at work. We can see God walking with us through the long, hard, difficult times those months, and maybe for some of you, those years when you were, you were just barely getting by and you can see God walking there with you. Or maybe, maybe it's not the long, difficult stretch. Maybe it was that one time, that one miraculous time when you saw God provide something that you knew was God, that you knew there was no possible way that this could happen except that it was, God had done something miraculous. God had provided. When we look back into our lives, we see God there with us. I know sometimes we get our, our minds so focused on what's happening and how difficult it is that we miss that God is there with us. So we, if we want to remember how God has been faithful, look into the Word of God. Read through the Word, through the, through the Bible, through the Scriptures. But also look back into our own lives. In 2008, it was the year before I was called here to the church. I had just uh, graduated from Regent from Seminary Tracy and I we'd been married a few years. We had a little boy he wasn't even uh, he was actually just a month old when I graduated and For the next year, Corbin and you know I had Tracy and I had this responsibility of a wife and a young son, and I was working part time at our church and I was working part time at a coffee shop on commercial drive, living in a basement suite in Vancouver and I was thinking, Jenny, when we were at your house on Friday, how you got, you got to work in a coffee shop when you were, uh, like, your first job as a teenager. I actually had to get a master's degree before they would hire me at a coffee shop. <laughs> and I remember thinking how difficult that time was. I mean, to be in the call process, and I, I remember talking with a church in New York, and they talked to me a little bit, but eventually they decided they, I think they wanted someone with more experience. I actually remember one of the uh, conference superintendents Um, not Jeff, a different guy, but he said, Jason, you know, there's just not many positions in the covenant, and there's a lot of pastors looking for places. My advice would be go look in a different denomination for a while or a different church, get some experience, and maybe in five or ten years, maybe try again. But I felt connected to the covenant. I'd been to covenant events, to the church planners' assessment, and and, uh, to the annual meeting. And I wanted to be a part of the covenant, but I, I eventually did start talking with other churches, and I knew I didn't fit. <laughs> I remember talking with a, a denomination I won't talk about, but um, they, because uh, it, it just, I was like, I just don't think that this. I think we're reading the Bible wrong here, and they just said, Well, you're not going to fit here. I was like, Okay, <laughs> yes, I don't. But I'm grateful because I saw in that year, like looking back on it, I could look at my journal. And how I'd been reading this book by Larry Crabb called Finding God in Times of Trouble. Maybe some of you read it. And how faithful God had been in that time. It was hard and it was difficult. But I see God right there with me. I see his faithfulness in my, faithfulness in my life. And I, too, and then that, that, that spring day in 2000, uh, 2009, when I talked with Jeff and he said, you got to come to our annual meeting. It's going to be at Green Timbers. And I told Tracy, I'm going to, an, I'm going to a covenant uh, annual meeting to meet with Jeff and maybe some other pastors. And, and she said, why are you doing this? Maybe some of you have heard her tell this story before. Why are you going to this? Like, there's no position for you in the covenant. And she was mad because I'd already been busy that week, and she was there with Corbin, and she just said, don't come back unless you have a job. <laughs> and I came through the door, and I said, I think I, I, I've been talking with Morley Vassard. <laughs> And this morning, I think you might, I think I might have a call. And I'm reminded how faithful God is in our lives. You know, and I can read through the scriptures and I can see how faithful God is, and that speaks so much, but also I see it in my own life. So I want us to remember how God is faithful, but also to remember that God is not just faithful to us, but he's also faithful in us. That we have Christ. Our Lord and Savior, who died on a cross, who finished, who completed everything. On the cross, he cried out, It is finished! He has defeated sin and death and Satan, everything. We have victory in Christ. We can be courageous in him because if Christ is for us, who can be against us? And I'm reminded too that, that when Christ rose again, he gave us his spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul reminds Timothy, he says, and it is a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. God has put his spirit in us. And I was actually reading in Luke's version of when he remembers Jesus going out into the desert. He said that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with that same spirit. God has filled you with his spirit. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? The spirit that reminds us that we can trust God because God is in us, that we can trust God. Even when every part of our body screams out, take control. Stop relying on anything but yourself and your ability to fix this. Take control that we can trust God. We can trust God when he wrote, Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome and he said, God works out all things for the good of those who love him. We can take refuge in those words. As I watch Jesus in the desert, maybe we start asking, like, how does this help me? How does this explain or or teach me how to live when I'm tempted to take control? I see that we can acknowledge that we are tempted this way. It's true. We are tempted to try and rely on our own ability to make things work. But we can also see that Jesus reminds us to remember what God has done in our lives to remember what God has done through the Word, through the Scriptures, through the people of God for centuries. We're reminded that Jesus died on a cross and rose again, that He has defeated, that He has victory over death and Satan and sin. That we're reminded that God's Spirit dwells in us and it is not a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-discipline. Maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I kind of get it generally, but how do I start doing this this week? Like, what do I do with this Right now, How do I start living this out in my life right now? I want you to do one thing this week. Try this one thing. Actually, it's two things again. I know I keep doing that, sneak two in, but two things. The first one is pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. In the first sense, I mean like this. God, help me to see the places where I am tempted to take control. Help me to see the places where I am tempted... To stop relying on you and start relying on me and try and take control. Lord, help me see that. Or maybe asking God to help you see the places where you already are taking control, where you've already stopped relying on God and you're just relying on yourself. Lord, help me to see. The other part, too, is God, help me to see or help me with this situation. (laughs) God, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm afraid what the doctor is going to say. I'm afraid what my children are going to do. I'm afraid what my wife is going to do or what my husband will do. I'm afraid what's going to happen with my parents. Lord, please help in this situation. Paul was talking to the church in Philippians, or to the church in Philippi. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, prayer and petition." And with thanksgiving, offer your request to God. Ask God for his help. God is our good father. I know many of you have had great fathers in your lives, but some of you, the idea of father is not such a great memory. We have a good father in heaven. Jesus was teaching. He said, you know, you of your fathers, what of your fathers, if you asked for a loaf of bread, would give you a stone? Or if you asked for for an egg, he would give you a scorpion. (laughs) How much more your Father in Heaven who loves you beyond what any father on earth could love you. Desires to give you good things. Desires to help you when you ask. Now I'm not saying that it always looks like we think. It's not always going to be when we thought it would be. Sometimes it will be much faster and much better than we ever imagined. But ask God for help. And as I was reading, I was, I was just captured by when Paul, when he's talking to the church in Philippi, he says, with thanksgiving, offer your request to God. That's the other thing to do. The first thing is to pray for God's help. The second thing to do is give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. When you look back in your rearview mirror and you see how God has been faithful, give thanks. God, I'm grateful for what you've done. God, I'm grateful for the way that I saw that you helped me in that situation. I'm grateful for the ways that I saw you when my dad died, and I was terrified of what life was going to look like. Thank you, God, for being with me. Thank you, God, for being with me in that year, in 2008, when I had just graduated from seminary, and I was making coffee and doing youth ministry part-time at a church, and barely scraping by. Thank you, God, for being with me. Thank you, God, for being with me when I had to go for surgery. Or when my parent was dying. Or when my child was struggling. Thank you, God, for being with me. Because when we start thanking God, we start looking back, we begin to trust. We begin to see how God has been with us, faithfully with us, through our whole lives. It's been amazing to talk with with Darren, with Marilyn. Yesterday, as they're reading their story, you can see how God was at work. They can see now how God has been faithful for decades, bringing them to this place now. Or they are married. How we can look back and see God working. And it helps when we look back and we see God's faithfulness in the past, it helps us to trust Him in the future. Let me say that again. When we look back and we see God's faithfulness in the past, it helps us to trust Him with the future. Imagine what this begins to look like in us. When we are tempted to take control, when we begin trusting God even more, when we, give, we pray for God's help and we, and we pray that, and we give thanks to God. Imagine how, what this does in our lives. Think about those situations that you are worried about right now. Those things happening in your family that you are terrified of. Those things happening with, with your friends at work or your job and you're terrified. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Imagine how it begins to work in us when we keep trusting God with these things. Imagine the testimony it has in the people around us. When they say, man, I, how do you do it? You just told me what you're going through and I can't imagine how you're doing that and you look so calm about it. And we get to share with them how our, we look back at our life or how we've read through the scriptures and we've seen God's faithfulness time and time again and so we trust Him. Imagine the testimony that has for our friends and our neighbors when we talk with them about Jesus. Or when we just talk with him about life. When I began just a bit ago, I was talking about how when my dad died, I was really like control of money and stuff like that, of resources. I was terrified and I wanted to take control. I still wrestle with that. But I've been, God has been working in me. In this last year, uh, year and a half, Tracy and I, we've been praying and we've um, began the process of an adopting a child. And, I mean, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a child. And we, we began praying. We said, Lord, we, d- we feel that you want us to do this. We want to do it, too. We want to help a child, to bring a child into our family that may have grown up in the system or, or may have been orphaned and, and have no, re- no uh, connection with family at all, no resources, no help. God, we want to help a child. But well, we don't know how we're going to pay for it, God. We're relying on you. Now, for me, Mr. Dollars and Cents, Mr. Make sure everything's paid for before you ever buy it. I have like, I have only my mortgage. Like, that's the only debt I have. I hate that. To move forward without, any, without a penny toward it. And how God has been providing faithfully thousands of dollars. People coming and saying, we want to help you with your adoption. God just showing up in amazing ways. And we've moved through the process now, and we're near the end. We're actually, we've put our, um, our, our profile, our book about who we are, who our family is. We've given it to the adoption agencies in uh, just a few months. Basically, we're just waiting until families will begin looking and, and discerning and praying, if they pray, um, are deciding to, to let us adopt their child. It could be like four months from now. It could be four years from now. We don't know. But we're trusting God with this. And there's still actually lots of money for us to, to raise. But money has not been an issue yet. We've never once been held up. God has provided every step of the way. Every time that there was a fee that needed to be paid, God had already provided and we were just able to, to pay it. We've not been held up. God has been amazing at providing for us. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, like, Jason, God does this all the time. Why are you just now figuring this out? I can just tell you that I can, speaking from my own life, how faithful God has been. I say this to encourage you that when we look back and we see God's faithfulness, it's helped us, it helps us to trust God in the future.